Today's episode of The Lutheran Cartographer is brought to you by Audible. Get a free trial offer with a free audiobook at audibletrial.com slash lutherancartographer. The Lutheran Cartographer, episode 16. Welcome to The Lutheran Cartographer, the podcast where we explore different places and what it's like to be Lutheran there. Today we are joined by Pastor Chris Brademeyer. He is the pastor of St. John's Lutheran Church in Oaks, North Dakota, and also serves on the board of Lutherans for Life. Pastor Brademeyer, welcome to the show. Thanks. It's great to be here. So tell us a little bit about how you ended up in Oaks and a little bit about your background. Well, I um I actually didn't always serve as a Missouri Synod pastor. Um, I used to be an ELCA pastor. I served for four years at another church here in North Dakota. And after colloquizing, there happened to be a church in the general vicinity of where I grew up that was open and looking for a pastor. And uh, I got called there. I actually am serving about 10 miles away from my parents' farm. And my in-laws are actually from Oaks here. I don't know many people who are you know, at my end of the age spectrum who end up this close to home being being a clergyman. So that's kind of fun. Um, I suppose if I was to be really pious, I would say that, that, you know, God had a hand in it, of course. But it's kind of interesting being back in, you know, generally my home area. Um, my home school actually closed in 2005, and both of my sisters had to finish their schooling in, in Oaks. And so, uh, you know, I was just outside of the area here, which is, is very strange for me. Um, it's also kind of fun to be back close to the farm. I get to go help my dad out on occasion, which is a great stress reliever. You know, cows don't talk back like people do sometimes. So, <laughs> Yeah. Pastor Brademeyer and I actually were at Luther Seminary together for a while. Uh, where else have you lived, Pastor Brademeyer? Minnesota, have you been outside uh, North Dakota and Minnesota, or is that kind of your primary stomping grounds? That's I've only ever lived in Minnesota and in North Dakota. Okay, so how would you compare and contrast like being in Minneapolis and St. Paul with Oaks? Well, I mean, besides the population density being quite a bit different, out here the culture is still very agrarian, very rural. People tend to be pretty self-reliant. Um, you know, having the ability to do basic, uh, I should say, what do I want to say, like home maintenance kind of stuff, um, car repairs, you know, just basic self-reliance skills are really highly valued. And, and it's one of the things I found serving out here in a, in a rural area that pastors who can't mow their own lawn and change their own light bulbs tend not to make it really far because farmers just have a hard time relating to somebody who doesn't have any sort of practical skills. You know, it's just, it's just so different for them that they have a hard time identifying with it. And it's kind of off-putting for folks like that. I see. Um, the, the political climate's quite a bit different as well. Minneapolis-St. Paul is pretty progressive out here. It's, you know, almost a truism that everyone's conservative. I mean, we do have folks who aren't, but generally speaking, the culture's pretty conservative, pretty Republican, you know, a lot of, a lot of red voters out here. I see. So what would you say are some of the best things about being in Oaks? Well, I like that I can open the door of my house and let the kids outside and they can just go run around the neighborhood like a feral pack and we don't have to worry about it. <laughs> Um, one, in fact, uh, when we were at the seminary and the, uh, the ELCA assignment process came up, um, we originally had put in to go to New England as our preference because we wanted to kind of try somewhere else for a few years. But then Catherine got pregnant, um, and she, uh, 
we had a little boy and, and suddenly everything changed for us and we were praying and hoping that we would end up back in North Dakota because we just didn't like the idea of being so far away from family and being in an urban place with a kid because both of us are so, you know, from such small towns that, you know, we just couldn't even conceive of raising a child in a different sort of environment than that. So um, we ended up in the first town we were at was 250 people. And, uh, you know, the park was right across the street from the parsonage, which was great. And right now we have another park across the street from the parsonage. So we just kind of open the door when the snow melts and tell the kids to run across the street. And, you know, they play outside all day. It's it's wonderful. Everybody yeah. knows people. You know, you go to the grocery store, the small business in town, you can talk with people, you have a conversation. Economic exchange isn't just this faceless sort of thing you get when you go to Walmart. You know, you actually know the proprietor of the business, you know the people that work there, you know the other customers. It's also a social exchange as well as an economic one. Yeah. So help orient our listeners, where exactly is Oaks in North Dakota? We're about 20 minutes north of South Dakota, and we're about one hour um, to the west from the Minnesota-North Dakota border. Okay, so you're southwest of Fargo then? Yes, we're about 110 miles southwest of Fargo, and that's split almost evenly in half north and, and east. Okay, and how big is Oaks exactly? Um, about 1,700 people. We've been kind okay. of in a slow population decline since about the 1980s, um, mid-1980s I think it was if memory serves. But yeah, about 1,700 people, give or take. We're the largest town in our county. Okay, and uh, to kind of give some context for our listeners, 1700 for a kind of rural town in North Dakota is not small, correct? No, we're one of the larger towns in the state. Okay. Uh, in fact, our largest city only has like 120,000 people in it. So, you know, it's it's very different out here. When we say that Oaks is a big town, people would think 1700 you know, people would be a impossibly small hamlet or something. But uh, and we're also kind of in a hole between, you know, major, larger uh, population centers. So we have, you know, uh, all the stores you could think of. I mean, we have a, we used to have a shop code, but the whole chain folded. So we have, you know, a, a dollar store that has your soap and your, you know, that sort of thing, a grocery store and a lumber yard and all that sort of stuff. We have a hospital and a clinic in town, um, car dealership, you know, I mean, you really don't have to go anywhere else if you don't want to. Okay. So tell us a little bit more about what it's like being in a rural area. On this show, we've had a lot of pastors on from rural and suburban areas and maybe maybe one or two others that are really from a more rural setting. How would you orient our the city slickers in our audience to kind of life, as it were, kind of in a more rural atmosphere? Well, um, I think that things are a bit slower paced out here. I mean, we still have, you know, if you talk to any of the parents whose kids are like in high school and they they run around just like you would in the suburbs to sporting events and gymnastics and everything else. But I think things are still a little bit slower. Um, people are still, you know, do still take time to go up and have coffee. You go up to the any of the gas stations or the cafe in town uh, on any given morning and there's a group of men up there having coffee and then sharing the news before they go off, go off to do their day. You know, so we still kind of have some of that uh, that Mayberry sort of stuff that you would expect. But it is changing. Um, people don't regularly just pop in and visit each other as they would have even 20, 25 years ago. It's it's a rather uncommon thing these days. Um, mm -hmm. And I suppose that's coming with the uh, the advent of digital communication, virtual communication, that we're having less and less FaceTime, 
which is something a lot of people lament. But when you point that out and say, hey, maybe we should get together and do something, they kind of look around awkwardly like they don't know what to do about it. <laughs> so, you know, the, the, the chasm between the urban and the rural, I think, has narrowed somewhat because of the Internet. Um, but, you know, at the same time, a lot of times people find stuff online and go, I can't believe those nutty city people. You know, they're doing all this weird stuff over there. Um, so that that's interesting. The other thing, you know, that you have to get used to in a rural area is everybody knows who you are and everybody knows who you're related to if you have any family within an hour's drive of there. And when I say an hour drive, I mean you're driving 60, 70 miles an hour. So we're talking any distance within 60 or 70 miles of, of, of where you live. If you have family uh, around there, people know who you're related to and they remember their parents and grandparents and every terrible thing your family's ever done for the last hundred years can be called up in conversation or any great thing that your family's done because there's still kind of a cultural memory of you know, who the families are and where they fit in. In fact, one of the things that I find is really off-putting for urban people when they come out into rural areas, the first thing you do when you introduce yourself to somebody or someone introduces themselves to you is you say, oh, okay, where are you from? And you go, oh, I'm from Minneapolis. And you say, oh, yeah, well, my cousin Jeff's friend, you know, George Schmo lives in Minneapolis and he's up in this neighborhood. Do you ever run into him? And urban people look at you like you're absolutely crazy, but this is how rural people process social networks. Right, that we have to find somebody or something in common so that we can orient ourselves to other people. And uh, I always find that fascinating because I used to do this to people at seminary and they just looked at me like I was nuts. <laughs> okay, so a much more kind of uh, people kind of focused socialization, is that kind of a way of summing it up or how help, help me figure it out? I think, I think that makes sense, but it's not just focused on the present people. There's also the entanglements of personal history. You know, the town that your family comes from is a big deal. So, like, my town that I grew up in is Verona, which is a, a stop sign on the blacktop. I mean, there's maybe 50 people that live there these days. There's no school anymore. There's hardly any businesses in town. And uh, I'm a Verona person. And Verona's 16 miles away from you, so everybody knows about Verona people and what that means. And so if you're from Verona, you're a Verona person. And I will never be an Oaks person, even if I live in this town for 40 years. You know, even if I, I live here until I draw my last breath and I live to be 100 years old, I will never be an Oaks person because I'm not from Oaks. I'm from Verona. That's where my family's from. And so, you know, place is very important to rule people. You know, the particular patch of dirt that your family's been on for a long time is very important. Um, that sense of continuity of family and land, it, you know, that feeds into how we interact with each other and our sort of person-driven of way of navigating things. Okay. So that is one of the things that I'm curious to know more about that I wasn't planning to talk about till later, but let's talk about it now. And that is, I've heard it said that kind of what you just expressed, that you'll never be that person. That from that town, your kids might be, and your kids might be insiders, but if you move to a rural area, that you will always in some ways be an outsider. Is that something that people should concern themselves with, or just something that you kind of get used to and it isn't really all that bad? Would you say that's accurate? And if so, then what? how would you approach it? It is accurate. The stereotype exists for a reason, right? Um it is based in, in common practice, at least up here in the Northern Plains. Um, but I, I guess, I don't know, it's never bothered me because I just know that's how it works. 
And because I know that it works that way, I've just assumed that it would be this way, and you just make the best of it. And, you know, people, uh, it's different being a pastor, though, being in a town, because you sort of fall into a community office. And even though I'm the Missouri Synod pastor and we're the angry church that nobody likes and nobody ever comes and visits us or anything, uh, I, I mean, I, I say that tongue-in-cheek, right? Um, but we're kind of, a, we're a little bit more off-put from the other churches. But even though that is the case, you're still a community figure, and so you kind of fall into a, a publicly recognizable slot. So for me personally, it isn't quite the same as it would be if I just moved here to work at the you know, local lumberyard or something. Um and it also does help that I am from the area. North Dakotans in particular get nervous around people who aren't North Dakotans. And uh, I, I mean this with the with the, all the love I can muster in my heart. It's just just the way it is. You know, we just um, we just have a hard time with people that we don't understand or who talk differently than us. And it's not malicious. It's just um, they just don't know how to deal with it because we are so very rule out here, and we have such a very very hum, uh, uh, homogeneous demographic homogenous that's the word i'm looking for homogenous demographic um that we have a hard time navigating that but my advice to somebody if they move to a rural area would be just get engaged in the community you know get yourself uh, some board or nonprofit or cause that you can be part of in addition to your church like if you you know if you've ever wanted to play firemen volunteer fire departments are great and the smaller the town the less training they actually make you do <laughs> in my first call, I, I could drive a stick shift, and that was good enough to make me a fireman, right? <laughs> <laughs> this town actually does training. You have to get certified and everything, so it's quite a bit more involved. But you do that kind of stuff, and you start to fit in, and people start to include you in things. And you know, you feel like more of an insider, even though there is a recognition that you're not from here. And so there's always going to be that difference that you didn't grow up here. You didn't go to the school. You don't know the stories about this old guy that lived down the end of the block years ago, or, you know, the teacher that was at the high school for 40 years before she passed away. And that's just part of the fact that you're not from that area. Okay. That makes sense. So we've talked about the good and we've kind of delved into where Oaks is and what it's like being in rural area. What would you say are some of the not so great things about either Oaks or kind of that area of North Dakota? Well, I would say the biggest problem for me personally, I'm a guy that likes to eat and the restaurant scene here is rather limited. You know, we have a, a greasy spoon and we have a like a it's an off-brand Dairy Queen basically, kind of a mom and pop sort of place. Um, but it's about the same kind of fare and everything is deep fried out here and it's lots of heavy carbs. So if you're looking to lose weight, North Dakota is not the place to live <laughs> unless you're going to plan on doing all your meals at home. And, uh, you know, everything is just kind of a lot of, a lot of fried food and that sort of thing. Whereas, you know, when we lived in Minneapolis, you could drive down the road for 15 minutes and eat anything from anywhere in the world, you know, by cuisine type. So that this is, it, it's still something, even though I've been back here for seven years now, I'm still missing the food scene, and it makes me sad that I can't just, you know, go get Indian whenever I want. I have to drive for 110 miles to get to the closest Indian restaurant these days. So, you know, it takes a little getting used to. But on the other hand, my wife and I have learned to cook a lot more stuff. So that's one. The other thing is the small towns tend to be a little clicky. You know, they tend to get social groups that sort of keep to themselves, and sometimes it's hard to navigate yourself between them, or you may fall into one and find that people from other little groups may not want to associate you with you just because of the connections that you keep. But, you know, these things happen in larger areas, too. It's just that they're easier to ignore because there's more people, and you just kind of, you know, realize that it's happening. When it's, you know, on a smaller scale like this, it's a lot easier to identify it because the people that you're looking at are fewer than numbers. So... It's a little easier to spot that when that happens. 
Yeah, absolutely. So tell us a little bit more about raising a family in Oaks. You've already mentioned that your wife and you kind of were hoping to get back to North Dakota or to a more rural area after thinking, oh, we want to go to New England. Was it worth it? And in terms of raising the family, what is it a good thing to be there for raising a family? You know, I think it's I think it's a great thing. Um, like I said, we can just kick the door open and let our kids outside. You know, we don't have to worry about them disappearing. And if they do disappear, you know, or someone tries to do that, the neighbors all watch each other's kids. You know, there's still there's still a community mindset that way. Um, you know, there, you, I mean, there's just it's practical stuff like the traffic outside my house. I might get two cars that drive past my block a day, right? <laughs> Um, you know, I, I just don't have to worry. I mean, I can, I can afford to take a breath and not hover and control my children's lives and just let them go out and be kids. And that I think is something that's, that's really undervalued in today's society. When you get outside of the rural areas, just letting kids go outside and, you know, play in the mud and be kids. And they get to do that here all the time. Um, the other thing that's nice is, you know, schools tend to be a little less nutty than schools elsewhere. Um, you know, we're not cutting edge. And I appreciate that. Um, uh, we tend not to have some of the weirder things that happen in society. I mean, we do, and there's still odd people around, but we don't have it in the same proportion. It's not celebrated or maybe, you know, triumphed around like it is in certain other places. So, for example, like at our school, we have a couple students who identify as transgender, but, you know, the school district's not, uh, you know, putting up flags and having an awareness campaigns for it. It's just everyone kind of rolls their eyes and says, okay, that's just so-and-so, you know, they're kind of a loon. And that's the way it is. So, um, you know, it's kind of nice that uh, you feel like that general society, you know, on certain issues still stands with what the Christian church says about them, which you can't always take for granted anymore. And, I mean, it may not be the way that way forever with the way society's changing and the Internet and all the access people have to information. But for now, it's, it's still, um, you know, we're still in the same general ballpark as each other, which is good. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Tell me, are there good Lutheran schools in the area, or is that kind? Of, is it kind of uh, government schools or bust for you guys? Kind well, of we only have public schools in my area. And North Dakota has very, very few private schools, and this is one of those weird artifacts of history. And as far as I can tell, it's due to anti-Catholic sentiment in the 1920s with the rise of populism in North Dakota, which we had a very strong populist streak in the back in the 19-teens and the 1920s that led to North Dakota um, being having a state-owned bank, a state-owned railroad, and a state-owned flour mill. The railroad is no longer in existence, but the flour mill and the bank are still around. And uh, so you have this state full of red-blooded conservatives, and we have you know a socialist bank and a socialist <laughs> flour mill. I don't know how, but I totally missed that. I did not know that. Yeah, it's it's a very weird thing. Um, we we don't like people to help us unless it's we doing it to ourselves, I think is the way I would put it. You know, North Dakotans are fine if it's North Dakotans, but if the federal government gets involved, people tend to get a little nervous. But uh, anyways, I had forgotten my point. What were we talking about again? Oh, yeah, yeah. We were talking about uh, private schools and you saying that Yes, in North Dakota, we have. I, I just, I, I'm on the, I'm the president of North Dakota Lutherans for Life, and there's a program that we're trying to get information into Lutheran schools. And I counted in the state, I think we have five Lutheran schools in the whole state, three, four, four Lutheran schools in this whole state. Um, I think there's about four or five Catholic schools, and I think there's one or two others. Uh, North Dakota 
I just from my reading of the state law, and I've seen this statistic, and I can't remember where I saw it, so forgive me that I can't cite it for you. But North Dakota is considered to be one of the, if not the hardest school in the uh, state in the country to start non-public schools in, whatever the stripe may be. Um, we have specific staffing ratios mandated in state law. We have a state-mandated curriculum that has to be followed in our state law. And it's just, it's a very difficult enterprise. Plus, you also have to deal with, you know, the whole small town, like, sports team thing, or that becomes sort of a, an idol for people. And so they are willing to support that even at the cost of, of a good education for their children. Though that being said, um, homeschooling is on the rise in our area, and there's quite a few people in our school district boundary that do homeschool. And uh, there is getting to be some talk with people being dissatisfied. And I do have some members in my church that are trying to work on uh, either a homeschool co-op or ideally a Lutheran school, but uh, we're not quite there yet. A couple of churches in the area and I, have been, well, a couple other pastors in the area and I have been talking about it, and we're just sort of waiting. It's like we're kind of teetering on the edge, and we just need a few more pieces to line up before we really pull the trigger on it. Um, and so, you know, that's the goal anyway. That would be ideal. But as of right now, no, Lutheran schools are kind of few and far between. Okay. But it sounds like homeschooling is a... a good possibility for those that aren't interested in in public schools yeah that's there's it's relatively common out here and it okay. tends to be the the conservative christians of various stripes that do do most of the homeschooling i see let's take a moment to thank our sponsor if you're listening to this podcast on the go you know how great it is to be able to do whatever you'd like to do and listen to some good audio as well and Audible wants to put audiobooks into your ears so that you can enjoy them as well with their free 30-day trial offer. And you can get a free book with that offer. Just go to audibletrial.com slash Lutheran Cartographer and check that out. If you're looking for a book to think about getting, I would recommend checking out Luther's Bonjour to the Will. This is one of his great treatises and, in fact, one of the ones that he said was one of his finest. But if you're not interested in listening to Bondage of Will, there's plenty of other options as well. So check that out at audibletrial.com slash Lutheran Cartographer. Let's get back to our guest. All right. So we've talked about what it's like to raise a family there. What would you say it's like being a Lutheran in North Dakota? People think of it as Lutherland, but is it really? And what is it like? Well, define Lutheran for me, and I'll let you know if it's actually Lutherland or not. <laughs> I say that a little bit tongue in cheek. We we are one. I think we're the only state in the country that has a plurality of Lutherans. So we have more Lutherans than anything else. But the vast majority of Lutherans here are ELCA, um, and then the next largest group would be Missouri Synod. But it's not even you know it's not even close. The ELCA I believe has about two hundred and fifty thousand give or take members reported in the state, out of a population of like seven hundred and fifty thousand give or take. Um, and there's, I think, tw what do we have? In North, um, 20 or 30,000 Missouri Synod Lutherans is all in the state. Oh, wow. So almost 10 to 1, basically? Yeah. Oh, wow. The, okay. the Eastern North Dakota Synod of the ELCA, I think, has four times as many people in it as the whole state does for Missouri Synod Lutherans. So, you know, it's quite a bit, quite a bit bigger uh, up here. And, and, I mean, if you look at kind of the... Uh, the immigration waves and the ethnic background stuff, it all makes kind of sense that way because it's a lot of Norwegians, a lot of Swedes, a lot of the Lutherans that ended up here ended up being Iowa Synod or were German pietists and came into the ELCA through the various pietist synods. So 
Um, and, and the Iowa Senate and the, the Missouri Senate sort of had an arms race. You know, if the Germans showed up, it was whichever pastor could get to town first and set up a church, that's what the Germans went to, was either the Iowa Senate or the German, uh, or the Missouri Senate churches, right? Anyways, long story short is there, there's not an excessive amount of us, and so one of the things that has happened is that the Missouri Senate churches in North Dakota predominantly, and I mean by the vast majority, are traditional Missouri Synod churches. We do have a few outliers, but the vast majority are what you would expect of a of a Missouri Synod congregation. You know, they use the hymnal, um, they preach law and gospel, uh, they confess the the Lutheran confessions. Um, and the reason for that is 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 that you know all the other Lutherans are ELCA, and uh, and we don't want we don't want to be identified with them. And a lot of people go out of their way to be obnoxiously Missouri Synod, just so we can't get confused with, you know, the ELCA, because when you say Lutheran up here, everyone assumes ELCA, and, well, the ELCA church is the one with the lady pastor, and they're married married those two guys that live down the road and all that sort of stuff, and a lot of our members really don't want to be associated with that. I see. What's—so it's predominant—you said plurality of Lutherans. Are there other religious—a significant number of other religious traditions around, or is it mostly Lutherans, either of the Missouri Synod or the ELCA stripe? Well, the the next largest group after the ELCA here would be the Roman Catholic Church, um, which, again, for for the demographic, you know, immigration reasons I mentioned, makes a lot of sense— and if you take Lutherans of all the various stripes, I mean, we have we have some free Lutherans, we have some Lutheran brethren, we have some Wisconsin synod up here. You know, there are a few, I think three or four AALC churches. There's a handful of offshoots of the ELCA out here, like LCMC is actually fairly common in my area. Not as common as we are even, but common enough where people know what it is. Um, so, you know, you, you put all the Lutherans together, there's quite a few Lutherans. Um, and the next largest group would be the Roman Catholics, and they're not that much smaller than the Lutherans. And if you put those two groups together, I, I believe it's something like, you know, pushing three out of four people in the state would fall under those two umbrellas. And uh, in this part of North Dakota anyway, you know, you do have a Methodist church in most of the bigger towns, um, and they tend to be big enough that people know about them. There are other things around, but they're tending to die out. We had an Episcopal church here in Oaks, but the the priest uh, passed away, and the congregation didn't have enough folks for the bishop to send him another send them another one, so they just kind of disbanded. There's a small Presbyterian church, and they're not doing real hot. Um, there's actually quite a few Nazarene churches in our little area, because one of the uh, the bodies that ended up going into the Nazarene church was actually founded in Jamestown, North Dakota which is only about an hour away from here, and they went out from Jamestown and set up another of little Wesleyan Holiness churches. I forget what their name was. It was some kind of brethren something or another, but I'd have to look that up again. So there's quite a few little Nazarene uh, churches here. And the weirdest thing that we have is there is an old uh, college campus in the next town over from me called Ellendale that was a, I think it was like the North Dakota Normal School or School of the Mines or something like that. And anyways, it used to be part of the UND system, University of North Dakota system, and that folded in the 60s or 70s, and they ended up selling the campus to Trinity Bible College, which is an Assembly of God school. And so we have this Assembly of God Bible College right down the road from us, and there are hardly any Assembly of God churches around here. You know, there's one in Ellendale, and it's a tiny little church, and they tried to have one in Oaks, and it folded because they couldn't get enough people to go to it. (laughs) So, um... 
which is just fascinating because the college seems to be doing really well and they're trained pastors there. But one of the odd things I've noticed is when some of these very, very small ruler, very small town Lutheran or Methodist or whatever churches can't get a pastor from their denomination, they'll actually call up the Assembly of God College and get their their little uh, preacher students to come out and, and preach there. So there's two churches right west of town here, one ELCA and one was United Methodist, and they started having Assembly of God folk preach there, and the Methodist church at least threw them out of the denomination for doing that. Now they're an independent community church or something like that. But the ELCA church's bishop doesn't really care, and so they have a, a Assembly of God preacher there every week. Wow. <laughs> so let's talk next about, typically we, in this part of the podcast, we talk about local things that you would highlight. So what would you highlight out of Oaks? You've already mentioned like the restaurant scene isn't there, but if somebody's passing through Oaks or thinking about moving to Oaks, what's around that that you'd recommend seeing? Well, I mean, if I were to make a plug for people to move to Oaks, the big employer besides the agriculture industry in the area is uh, Melro. Uh, They don't call it that anymore. What do they call it? Uh, Bobcat, Doosan Bobcat. You know, Bobcat skid steer loaders. They make those in Gwinter, North Dakota, which is 30 minutes to my east, and that employs thousands of people out here. And all the, a lot of the towns around here, you know, people drive people drive from Fargo, which is an hour from there, to uh, work there every day. You know, so there are good jobs out here. Um, and, of course, we have really good Internet. We have fiber optic through town. So our Internet is actually really pretty decent. And so if you work from home um, through the Internet, this would be a great place to come and raise a family. Our cost of living is low. Our taxes are low. And uh, we have a pretty good church in town, if I do say so myself. And uh, the churches in the area, too, and in the other little towns around here are also very solid. Um, people around here, uh, we have two unit elevators in town, and unit elevators are large grain elevators that can fill a unit train, which is 110 rail cars of grain in a go. And uh, we raise a lot of corn and soybeans and wheat. Um, wheat's kind of going down. Uh, it was waning quite a bit, uh, mostly soybeans and corn these days. Some edible beans. We have a bean plant in town. We also are in a river bottom here, so we get some onions and that sort of stuff and you know, a few odds and ends like that, some cattle and that sort of thing. But anyways, back to your question of the things that are to do around here. North Dakota is a great place if you like to hunt and fish. Um, we've been in a wet cycle for the last 20 years or so, and so there's a lot of lakes that have popped up in the last 20 years that didn't used to exist. And because of all the new organic matter that's in there, the fish are just growing like crazy. So if you like to fish, there's lots of places to fish. Um, we have great hunting, a good population of white-tailed deer. We have a, a good population of pheasant. There's grouse in the area, um, waterfowl, fur bears, you know, coyotes and, and raccoons and rabbits and, you know, mink. I mean, if you like to hunt and fish, there's all that's... That's something up here most people do, and the people that really like living in North Dakota like to be outside. Um, you know, if you like to hike, we don't have a lot of like actual like hiking trails, but we do have a number of state parks and places you can go to hike. The topography tends to be a little flat. We tend not to have a whole lot of trees. We have some wooded valleys um, and that sort of thing. But personally, I kind of like the uh, the vistas of the plains. You know, going to the mountains is fun and seeing that, but. I've never felt so small in my life as standing on the one little hill in North Dakota that's five feet above, you know, the grade of land, right? And just seeing how big the sky is. You yeah. know, when you're in the forest or you're in the mountains or, you know, you're somewhere or in the city, you just don't appreciate how big the world can be. And out here, you're kind of impressed with that every day. 
and we have some of the most beautiful sunsets you'll ever see, reds and purples and yellows. I mean, it's really it's really easy for people out here to see the hand of their creator all around them because we are in it every day. We're in nature. Most of the people make their livelihood because they're dependent on the sun and the rain and the good weather that the Lord provides. And so we still kind of have some of that, I guess you could call it backwards mentality that God's a, a real present part of our lives just because of the fact of how we live and how we, uh, you know, um, uh, make our livings out here. Yeah, it's. I suppose it would be a lot easier to see that all good gifts around us are sent from heaven above when you're so dependent on the weather for for s- sustaining the crops and that kind of thing. Yeah, and if you know if the farmers do bad, everybody does bad because uh, the whole economy is tied to it. You know, yeah. people aren't buying new cars or, or lumber at the lumber yard or anything else if they're not making a, a living out in the field. We do have a river right by town. I kind of alluded to that earlier. Um, and there's a couple big dams on that river. If you go up north a little ways, there's a few lakes in the area you can go boating and fishing on and, you know, all that sort of thing. Um, yeah. You know, it, it, there's stuff to do. You just have to, you know, do it. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you need to really be willing to go out and kind of make your own things to do as well, Yeah. Yeah, and I think that just generally fits the culture here. You know, North Dakota is a place that values self-reliant people and self-starters. Um, you know, we're we're still farmers for the most part up here, and farmers have to go out and just be their own bosses and have their own initiative every day, and that's just sort of an expectation, even in the ways that we recreate. Yeah. Okay. Well, I do want to ask you about, uh, talk a little more at length with you about... Uh, the internet. You mentioned it already, the the fiber optic, and also you mentioned that went back when we were talking about schooling, you were talking about, yeah, it might not be in the schools, but it's still kind of coming into your home. And that was one of the things I talked about with Pastor uh, Nauman. He's out in Scarlesdale, New York, very different atmosphere, you know, like 20, 20 miles away from Manhattan, very different than North Dakota. But we're still dealing with this, like, this alien culture coming in directly into our homes. What's a way that you would think about that, and what would your pastoral advice be? Well, you know, we Lutherans, we're not sectarians. We don't go off and build uh, communes to just wall ourselves off from the world. And, and with the technology that we have now on the Internet, that wouldn't even be possible. Um, I guess it's just to be discerning. You know, know what you're, you're getting yourself into, know what your kids are getting into. You know, believe it or not, little kids don't need to have devices in their possession all the time. I know that's crazy, but um, our kids at home, you know, they complain about not being able to watch TV whenever they want, not having their own phones and iPads. And, you know, I just tell them, look, you're learning how to do things for real that other people only learn how to do virtually because you have to go outside and build fun for yourself. They just sit inside and, and, you know, simulate fun on a device. And of course, when your oldest is seven, that just kind of goes right over their head. But, um, you know, it's, it's like any other part of parenting. You just have to know what your kids are up to and pay attention to what they're doing and, and, you know, discriminate about what they see and don't see. Okay. So, uh, Pastor Bradamire, before we start winding down the podcast and talking about the things you want to promote and your parting thoughts, is there anything else that our listeners should know about North Dakota or about the Oaks area specifically? Well, I'm I'm a bit biased. I do really like North Dakota, and I, I have been to large 
portions of our country. I've been to a lot of other places. There's a lot of neat places that I've been that I like to visit. It's fun to go there. But I like living here because life makes sense out here. You know, it's not, um, I don't walk down the street and see things that I find so morally objectionable that it gives me heartburn. And when things like that do come here, this, you know, the people around town, up at the cafe, in the church, at the school, they don't talk about it positively. You know, it's still seen as a bad thing. And uh, I like that. I like that my neighbors still make sense to me. I like that uh, the world still rolls on as I expect it to, largely speaking. And, uh, you know, I mean, every place has its problems. North Dakota is not a perfect place. We have some issues, you know, culturally. We're, we're a little, like I said, a little insular as a society out here. Um, but, I, you know, that's nice, too, because it's kind of making us suspicious of some of this stuff that's coming in, this alien intrusion of culture. So, you know, what, what has been in the past a liability to us, I think, is actually helping us out a little bit in this case. Um <clears throat> And, you know, we're not as backwards up here as everyone thinks we are. We have all of the modern technology. Amazon will still overnight stuff to your front door. Um, you know, if you have Prime, right, you can just order whatever and it shows up in, within two days or whatever it is, right? You know, granted, we don't do the same-day grocery delivery. That's a little logistically unfeasible out here like you might have in Seattle. But uh, anyways, uh, you know, so you you have access to everything everybody else has access to. Um it's just uh, you don't have to do that stuff out here, right? You don't have to, to live your life in isolation from other people. Um, if you want to be in a place where people know who you are and care about you, um, being in a small town is a great way to do that because you do know people and they get to know you. And as long as you don't live in your basement and never come out, you will get to have neighbors that love and care for you, and you will have neighbors that you love and care for in turn. That is wonderful. So... Tell us, tell our listeners where you'd like to send them. Are there places they can follow you online? Definitely want to encourage people to check out St. John's Lutheran Church if they're in the area and check out your website. What else would you like to point our listeners to? Well, uh, yeah, our church website is stjohnsoaks.org. And uh, the website's not a, a great website. We're in the process of trying to find a—we have a college student who likes to fiddle with, with um, site development stuff. And uh, we're having her take a go at it, but she isn't ready to, to roll out. And because she's a college student and busy, probably won't be for quite a while. We do broadcast all of our services through Facebook. Um, we're hoping this summer to be able to expand that onto YouTube as well, so people who don't have a Facebook account would be able to stream or watch archived services there. So if you want to know how we do church out here, it's out there for the whole world to see. And, uh, you know, uh, as for my personal stuff, um, I guess I, I work, serve on the board of directors for Lutherans for Life um, in North Dakota here. I'm the president, and I also serve on the national board of directors. And uh, um, I feel pretty strongly about life issues, and that's something that I care quite a bit about. And the nice thing about my church here in, in, in Oaks is that they also feel very strongly about that. And we've done a few community events on life issues open to our town, which has been fun and well attended. Um, that's about all I do. I have church and I have a family. <laughs> All right, good deal. Pastor Bradamire, you mentioned that you're on the board for Lutherans for Life. What is that? Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Lutherans for Life is a pan-Lutheran organization that promotes the cause of life. 
Um, they are an RSO, a registered service organization of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, which means that they you know do teach in conformity with Missouri Synod doctrine. But they do not limit membership in the organization to Missouri Synod people. So there are people from the Lutheran Free Church. There are people who are from the Lutheran Brethren Church. There's, you know, North American Lutheran Church Lutherans that are involved. There there are a very small number of ELCA Lutherans that are involved as well. And the idea is, is that, you know, we're appealing to a general sort of Lutheranism in the way that we do things so that we could try to unite Lutherans together to fight the cause of life. And so uh, the goal of Lutherans for Life is to educate Lutheran Christians and Lutheran congregations and Lutheran parachurch organizations about life issues, about what's going on, about ways that we can stand up for life, about how we can defend, you know, people at all stages of life. So from, you know, pre-birth all the way up through uh, the end of life. Okay. So let's say one of our listeners is interested in getting their church involved. Where would you point them? You can check out Lutherans for Life's website at lutheransforlife.org. Lutherans for Life is working on expanding their presence in congregations through a program called Life Team Training. And so this training is used to set up a life team in the congregation, which then can help that congregation support life causes as part of that congregation's normal operation. So it's a great way for lay folks to support their pastor, to encourage him to preach on life issues, to teach on life issues, and to support just you know the general teaching of the church on these topics. Okay, and when you say life issues, we're talking about opposing abortion and euthanasia, and what else are we talking about when you say life issues? There's all kinds of stuff. They, the Lutherans for Life has information about um, vaccine research, about uh, stem cell research, about um, transgenderism, about post-abortion counseling. Um, it has information on—I mean, if you can think it's at all attached to human life in any way, shape, or form, there's something probably on the website about it. If you go to their, their position papers page, there's you know dozens of things that there's information about. So it's not limited just to abortion or just to euthanasia, you know, the big ones that get all the press. It is meant to be comprehensively pro-life. Kind of a, a more holistic approach, while still standing strong on those key issues as well. Kind of exactly, thing. exactly. Okay. Excellent. All right. So, uh, pa- Pastor Bradamart, what are your parting thoughts for our listeners today? Well, you know, I North Dakota rural areas we have seen a population decline, and uh, you know, it is something that everyone's kind of a little distressed about. But I have to say that. You know, living in a town of 1,700 people, we have all the amenities that much larger towns would have, you know, all the basic living stuff. You don't have to drive for an hour to go buy stuff at Walmart. Um, Sure, you pay a couple bucks more here, but you know the guy that's selling it to you, and you don't have to spend an hour in the car and pay all that gas and then drive an hour back again. Um, So we have everything that you would need for for your modern living needs, and uh, we also have the added benefit of still having genuine community. And uh, if you are able to relocate to a rural area, find a good confessional church and and check out the town and come there. And I think Oaks is a great place to, to live. I think Oaks is a great place to raise a family. I think Oaks is a great place to just be. And I think there's a lot of little towns like this in North Dakota and other rural areas of our country. Excellent. Thank you again for your time today. God's peace. God's peace to you as well. Thanks for listening to The Lutheran Cartographer. For more about the things that we talked about with Pastor Brademeyer today, check out the show notes page at lutherancartographer.com slash 16. 
Before you go, I want to encourage you to check out that Audible trial if you'd like for that free audiobook. That's at audibletrial.com slash Lutheran Cartographer. And as well, make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes or on Stitcher. And while you're at it, it would be a great help to me if you take a moment to leave a rating and a review. That way more people will see the podcast and listen and enjoy. Until next time, I'm Nicholas Weber. Thanks again for listening. I'll talk to you soon.